So the scripture I'm about to read for you is the traditional scripture reading, could come from Matthew, Mark, or Luke, the synoptic gospels as they're known, but it almost always comes on this Sunday before the start of the season of Lent. It is the story of Jesus' transfiguration, that is when he's changed. And I will tell you the story defies any straightforward explanation. And I find instead of clarifying much about Jesus' nature, it only adds more questions. Is Jesus of earth or is he of heaven? Or does the fact that Jesus was somehow changed say something profound about humanity and our reflection of God's image? And in the reading from the Gospel of Matthew, both Moses and Elijah appear, at least at first. Moses, many of you know, is the great leader of the Hebrew people out of their um, captivity in Egypt. But Elijah is a Hebrew Bible prophet. And in the Jewish tradition, Elijah might be the precursor to the coming of the Messiah. In fact, in another scripture, scriptural passage, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? One of the responses is, some say you are Elijah, the precursor. If you've ever been to a Seder meal, there is an empty seat traditionally left at the table and the door left ajar for Elijah to join them, the precursor to the Messiah. And just as an aside, my brother married into a Jewish family, didn't understand that, came to his first Seder with them, sat in Elijah's empty chair. He did. Not a great start, but... From the Gospel of Matthew, the Transfiguration, the reading for the Sunday before the beginning of the season of Lent. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, Jesus' brother, and led them up a high mountain. And Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his garments were white as light. And behold, There appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is well that we are here. If you wish, I will build three booths here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter was still speaking when, lo, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom... I am well pleased. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one of this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This ends our reading from the Gospel of Matthew. May these words which once transformed the disciples' hearts transform our hearts as well. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. Well, 
Quite a story, right? I mean, the transfiguration is one of the most remarkable stories from Jesus' life. And to be honest, for me, it's a little strange. It's a little mystical. But it's also a story, and this is fairly unusual, that appears in all of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I mean, that is unusual to appear in all three, but even more unusual is that each of the Gospel writers places that moment of the transfiguration in a similar place in the narrative. I mean, you should know that not every story that appears in Luke, for instance, is in the Gospel of Mark, or in Matthew is in Luke, and there are very few that appear in all three, but even when they do, they might appear in different places surrounded by different stories. But not in this case. The place in the story of Jesus' transfiguration is just before he tells the disciples that they have to now go to Jerusalem and Jesus must face what awaits him there. So it makes sense, right, that this is the story that is read on the Sunday before the season of Lent, which leads us to Holy Week and Easter. I guess it also makes sense that this is a mountaintop experience, the mystical moment when Jesus' true nature as God's beloved son is revealed. But think how strange this must have been for Peter, James, and John, their encounter with this shimmering, mirage-like experience of Jesus. I mean, they might have asked, is this real or is it a dream? The transfiguration is also a significant sort of transition point because you heard at the very end of what I read that Jesus reveals to the disciples for the first time what must have been to them the shocking conclusion to his life, his suffering death and resurrection. So maybe Peter, James, and John are kind of scared I mean, they're already anxious about what will await them if Jesus says they have to go to Jerusalem. They know there's going to be trouble. But also remember this about the disciples. The closer they get to Jerusalem, the closer Jesus gets to the cross, the less and less they seem to understand him. I wonder if that isn't true for some of us as well. The more mystical Jesus is, the more intense he becomes, the less we might understand him. I mean, a lot of us can relate to the Jesus who challenges us, right? To know, for instance, that we, we might discover God in the people we least expect to, the story of the Good Samaritan. We can even handle the Jesus that tells us, although it's never easy to hear, that we are to pray for our enemies. But the mountaintop Jesus, whose face is changed and whose robes are dazzlingly bright, this Jesus feels different, maybe stranger. And you heard the story, right? The three disciples head up the mountain with Jesus to pray. And a mountain makes sense because summits are places of revelation in almost all religious traditions. And I get that even in a small way. The summit of a mountain 
can be this profoundly spiritual place. It was a few years back that I climbed what they call in Colorado a 14er, a mountain with a summit over 14,000 feet. I mean, it took efforts to get there, but I tell you, it was, uh, it was astonishing. I mean, it was worth it. It felt as if you were standing above the world. It was thrilling. And there is this sense on a summit of a mountain that you stand on holy ground closer to the heavens. And on that transfiguration day, on that mountain, Jesus' robe is dazzling white. Moses and Elijah appear, but you heard it, right? And then they're gone. And the voice from above says, this is my beloved son. But here's what I love in the story, too. At first, as so often happens, the disciples, in this case Peter, just don't get it. What's his first reaction to this mystical moment? I'll build a hut for each of you. One for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah, as if it's a tourist attraction. But then they hear God's voice, and they're awestruck, and they bow down. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. We hear that a lot in Scripture. Don't be afraid. And they stand up, and Jesus is alone. So what is it? Is it a dream? Is it the thin air of the mountain? Or is it God? Well, thankfully, the disciples then act with, for the disciples, unusual wisdom. They take Jesus' advice. Remember, he says, go and tell no one. And they keep silent. And I want to say that that's really wise. I mean, sometimes after an encounter with God, you need to sit with it. And sometimes silence is the best response. Silence might be the best response because you can't explain the inexplicable. You can't unscrew the inscrutable. And I don't know about you, but in our modern world, we might not have been as thoughtful. Instead of odd silence, we might have participated in what has become our nation's pastime. We probably would have offered an opinion. Do you know that a few years back, a radio station conducted a call-in poll, and the results were pretty evenly distributed. About one-third said, yes, they agreed. One-third said, no. But almost over a third said, um, they just didn't have an opinion. And a listener was aghast that so many people were without an opinion, and he suggested, this is the kind of apathetic response that will ruin America. But there's a problem. The station had purposefully never posed a question. That's right. What might be most troubling is that over two-thirds of us had an opinion, yes or no, about a question that was never asked. The disciples, on the other hand, Choose wisely, to be quiet, reflective, but continue to serve. Which is reminiscent of St. Francis' advice, always, 
always preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. And now I'll play my hunch. I think that a fair number of you have at some time in your life felt close to God. Now maybe your experience wasn't as dramatic as the disciples, but sometime you have felt embraced by God. In fact, the overwhelming majority of people who are spiritual or religious acknowledge that there has been a moment when they have felt touched by God. But most of us then add that we have never told anyone. Like the disciples, our response is often silence. And when asked, people will say, well, because I'm worried my friends might think I'm odd. And I get it, I do. Words often fail us after an experience of God's love. And it is true. You don't have to tell someone about an experience to make it real. Because you can always preach the gospel and only use words if necessary. And maybe that's what a good friend of mine was describing when she remembers having asked a member of her church who happened to be a dentist, how being a dentist connected with his faith. And he said, well, he said, you know, over the years, the one aspect of my work that I've loved is caring for and about people. He said, there have been plenty of appointments where I've said very little, but I've spent my time drying the tears of someone who has lost a spouse or listening to someone who's scared about an upcoming surgery or laughing with someone about the joys of parenting. When the day is done, he said, and I think over those appointments, I hold each of those people in my thoughts and prayers. You can always preach the gospel and use words only if necessary. But there's no need to keep silent forever. The disciple Peter doesn't. Years later, he writes when he remembers that day, we had been witnesses to his glory. So remember, eventually, there came a time in Peter's life when he needed to share his encounter with Jesus. And he did so, so that others might understand the love of Christ. And so who knows? Sometime your moment to share might come as well. And when it does, don't be shy. Your story of God's love might change someone's life for the better. So share that love. Share that moment so that another might live and live abundantly. May it be so. Thank you.